You are listening to audio from Hope Church Ipswich. For more information about our church, please visit www.hopechurchipswich.net. Good morning. Uh, my name's Tom. I lead the team here at Hope Church. I've actually not been around much the last two Sundays. I was here very briefly last Sunday, but I actually preached in Stowmarket. I was with King's Church in Stowmarket and uh, had a great time with those guys. Um, we, you may recall back in September we sent Dave and June Dean to go and support the, the church there for a season. Uh, they're doing a great job and the church is in good spirits and we are praying really that God would just uh, show us the way forward for the longer term there. Uh, Dave and June are, are, are committed there for a short season but we, we're trusting that God will make the way forward uh, for us. We've had a few people from Hope Church go and join the church there, three people now uh, as well as Dave and June and uh, uh, it was just great to be with them last week, and we're sending um, worship teams regularly to go and support them as well, which is just fantastic. So I was there last week, and then the week before that, I was at Revelation Church in London, um, North London, where uh, it's quite a remarkable church, really. I was one of the oldest people there, I think, at the age of 31. I uh, looked out as I was preaching, and I only saw about four or five people who may uh, have been over the age of 50. So uh, a remarkable church there. I uh, had the chance to open God's Word with them, but also um, to plug Scent, which is an event for uh, students and 20s right across our family of churches uh, that I help to lead, and we're hosting it this year in Ipswich. So if you haven't booked in already, uh, please let me urge you to do that and come along to it. Um, but as a church as well, please be praying for this event. It's happening here uh, in April, and uh, there'll be, uh, we pray, many, many um, students and 20s right across our family of churches being encouraged and equipped together. Okay, this morning uh, we're going to continue our series in 1 Corinthians. So if you have a Bible with you, you might like to turn to 1 Corinthians and chapter 12. Um, We've been going through this book in the Bible since September. It's been an epic series and it will be going on until uh, mid-March because we're just wanting to take the time to work through each chapter of this book and see what God has to say through it. It was originally a letter written by uh, the Apostle Paul, uh, to a church that he had started. And it was a church that had got in a bit of a mess in many ways. Um, they had become quite divided over some things, and they'd also become quite chaotic in their meetings. Some, things, some people were, were seeing it as their opportunity to, to shine in the spotlight, and it was a little bit messy at times. And so the Apostle Paul has written to them. They were getting into all kinds of funny uh, ideas, and he's written to them to remind them who they are. He's written to them to remind them who they are and whose they are. He's reminded them of some amazing truths that he is hopeful will um, shape their lives. And one of the big truths that he has uh, hammered home to them is that they are temples of the Holy Spirit. That they are temples of the Holy Spirit. That God doesn't dwell in buildings uh, made by man. That was the old way that God's special presence could be experienced in a temple. But now, because of uh, all that Jesus has done, because of that temple curtain being torn into, because of Jesus and the Father pouring out the Holy Spirit, now God dwells within believers by the Holy Spirit. That we are individually, if we have placed our faith in Jesus, we are temples of the Holy Spirit. And that collectively we are also a temple of the Holy Spirit. This is something that Paul highlights again in, in chapter 3 and chapter 6. In other letters that he sends to other churches, he hammers it home again and again and again. You are now the dwelling place of God. Believers, you are the dwelling place of God. The Holy Spirit lives within you. And that's a remarkable truth. That should have uh, implications for the way we live our lives. That we don't give ourselves to certain things anymore. Because we've got God the Holy Spirit living within us. But it also should 
massively raise our expectations for when we gather together. Because individuals filled with the Holy Spirit are coming together in unison to meet with God. And we shall have high expectations that when that happens, that God is going to speak, that he's going to move in lives, that he's going to touch hearts. And I want to urge you and encourage you to come to church expectant, not, you know, let's get this out of the way and then let's enjoy the rest of the day. But actually, no, we're going to come and meet with the living God. He's amongst us and we can experience his presence and his power and his love. I am a massive advocate of personal prayer life and prayer times. You know that. I've said it again and again um, that we want to encourage you to develop a walk with God. Um, No one can do that for you. It's the most important thing, really. I had a great time on Friday morning uh, praying and meeting with God, and it was, was, for me, perspective-shaping. I needed that. I needed to come to God, cast my burdens upon Him, receive fresh faith. You need to have that. There's no substitute for it. However, in our encouragement to be those that individually are uh, walking with God, let's not forget the fact that actually together God has things for us that we would not experience on our own. That actually, when we come together, there is more of God and his presence to be experienced than we could know in isolation. And so that's why we come together expecting that God is going to meet with us. Expecting that he's going to speak through uh, different people and in different ways. And next Sunday, I'm going to be speaking from uh, chapter 14 about that, how that could look like when we gather together. Because that's Paul sort of drills down into that a little bit in chapter 14. How could that look like when the church gathers? And then in the weeks after that, myself and Tim are going to work through 1 Corinthians chapter 13, which if you've never been to church before, you've probably heard those verses read out at weddings. Love is patient, love is kind, and so on. Amazing, amazing verses uh, that we're going to unpack together. I'm excited about it, but let's today focus on this passage, which is speaking of one body and many parts. So we're going to read the first seven verses of chapter 12, and then we're going to work through the passage uh, in the time that we have remaining. Now, concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says, Jesus is accursed. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. Now, there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Now, that passage that we've just read together begins like this. Concerning spiritual gifts, brothers and sisters. Now, it says that, but actually in the original text that would have been Greek, it's, it's actually more accurately translated this, about spirituals. That doesn't really make sense, does it? About spirituals. Well, actually, what we might take to mean here is actually it's about spirituality. The reason that the translators have chosen about spiritual gifts here is because Paul goes on to speak about spiritual gifts, and that's why they've taken that decision. But actually, Paul, in these first few verses, is speaking about spirituality, because the Corinthian church... They loved spiritual stuff. They were, even before they'd come to place their faith in Jesus, if something wacky was going on, that's where they'd have been found. They wanted to, to, to get into something that was spiritual. They were wowed by things that seemingly uh, seemed impressive and supernatural. And Paul's saying, I don't want you to be 
uninformed about these things. Now, we're in a country which uh, has, by and large, turned its back on Christianity. We're no longer a Christian nation. But that does not mean that we are a completely secular nation, because there are many, many people who still chase after spiritual things. In horoscopes, in uh, meditation, in various different things. I, uh, my, wife, my, my wife Sarah and I, we moved house before Christmas. We now live opposite a pub. And the pub has chicken wing Wednesdays and it has fortune telling Thursdays. I'm tempted to go over there and actually speak to them about the real God who can really see the future. But this is to say that actually in this nation, people are still searching after spiritual things. And this is exactly the case in Corinth. People were fascinated by spirituality. And Paul's wanting to say a few things here about spirituality. The first thing he says is this. Spiritual people acknowledge Jesus as Lord. Spiritual people acknowledge Jesus as Lord. You cannot say that Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. The spirituality that God loves is when people acknowledge Jesus as Lord. Not just say it, but confess it. Meaning it in the heart. Jesus is Lord. That means that he's He's the boss. He's the one in the driving seat. He's the one we've seen that when we drive, we just crash and make a mess, like Prince Philip. (laughs) But actually, we've seen that that Jesus is Lord, and that actually he's the one who knows far better about life than we do. And we said, Jesus, you're the Lord of my life. True spiritual people cannot say the words, no, Lord. You don't disobey Jesus. He's the master. He's the word... He's the one who has authority in our lives. Why is it the case that the Holy Spirit would cause us to have that kind of reverence for Jesus? Well, the Holy Spirit loves to glorify Jesus. And he's now living within us, causing us to change day by day that we might live lives that glorify Jesus, that point people to Jesus. Now, the opposite of this is that actually counterfeit spirits, as it were, point people to themselves. So we see that even in uh, the book of Acts, where people who are possessed by the Spirit, they get all the attention. All the attention is suddenly on them. But actually, the Holy Spirit, working in our lives, he wants to point people to Jesus. He wants to show people Jesus. He wants people to savor Jesus as being better than anything else. So firstly, spiritual people acknowledge Jesus as Lord. Secondly, spiritual people use the gifts of the Holy Spirit that we're going to read about in just a moment to serve God. We see that emphasized in in verses 4 to 6. There are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it's the same God who empowers them in everyone. This is Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit in this passage here. We believe that these gifts are to serve God. We're going to come on to see in a moment that they're to serve others as well, but they are to serve God. We believe these gifts are for today. We are a charismatic church. That's what it means. It means that we believe that these grace gifts, that's what charismata means, means grace gifts. We believe they are for today. It doesn't mean that we just have a band that plays cool music. No, we believe that the gifts of the Holy Spirit are for today. That's what it means to be a charismatic church. If someone asked me to describe my church, well, it depends whether they have any idea about what I'm saying, but I would describe our church as an evangelical charismatic church. If someone who uh, didn't know what that, that language meant, I'd just say we're, we're Christians who believe in the Bible. 
We believe it's for today. But we're evangelical, which means that we centre our lives on what the Bible says. And so if we're asked about how, what do we think about certain things, we don't appeal to culture and say, well, let's just see what everyone else says. We don't appeal to logic. We don't appeal to uh, you know, some great famous teachers. No, we say, well, what does the Bible say about it? That's what it means that we're evangelical. And it's because we're evangelical that we are charismatic. We believe that the gifts of the Holy Spirit, these grace gifts that we're going to read about in a moment, we believe that they are for today. Not just that they are continuing today, but they are necessary for today. That they're necessary for the church to be mature, for the church to actually uh, fully glorify Jesus in every way that he wants us to do so. So these are grace gifts. This means it's more like a birthday present than anything else. It's more like a birthday present in that they are undeserved gifts. They're not given to us because of our good choices. They're not given to us because of active years of service. They're not given to us because of a track record, but they're a gift of love, a gift of grace, undeserved favor. It's not because you've been a Christian a certain amount of months or years, and then after you've completed six months, you get given the gift of tongues or you got given the gift of prophecy, or given the gift of teaching. No, it's a grace gift. So it's very much like a birthday present. And if you think about it for a moment, a two-year-old hasn't done much to deserve a birthday present. In fact, they're pretty much ill-deserving of a birthday present, because for two years they've brought chaos and sleeplessness to their family. And yet they receive birthday presents, not because they've done anything to deserve it, but because their parents love them and they get gifted in that way. So in that, re- in that regard, these are grace gifts. They are undeserved gifts that are given to God's people. But they're actually unlike a birthday present in some ways, in that they are not solely for the benefit of the receiver. In fact, they're, they're a bit more like a birthday present that's given to a dad. Now, in April... It'll be my birthday, and I can picture the scene already. My children will have bought me something that they secretly want. Okay, So they'll, they'll bring the present to me in bed, and they'll say, Dad, open that present, and they'll desperately want me to open that present more than any other present. And then I open it, and they'll say, Can we have one of those, Dad? That, that is, I, can, I can see it happening already. These grace gifts are more like a present that a dad receives. They're actually for the good of others as well. They're not to be uh, treasured just by the receiver. It's a free, undeserved gift of grace. Now, why is Paul taking the time to write about these gifts? Well, the the church in Corinth had been um, acting in immature ways when it came to the gifts of the Holy Spirit. They had seen some of these things as their moment to shine. They'd seen these gifts as their kind of place to get a bit of spotlight, an arena in which to impress others with their long, fancy words or their long prayers or their... uh, you know, fascinating gifts. Now, these gifts Paul's writing about here is he's saying that they are for God. They're for serving God to glorify Jesus. And as we're going to see in a moment, they are for the good of others. When these gifts are used in a mature way, this is why Paul is concerned about this. This is why he's writing to them about it. When these gifts are used in a mature way, they will most clearly elevate Jesus as Lord that the community around may see him and savor him. And he's, he's saying here, the answer to their, their disuse of these gifts is not, their, their misuse of these gifts is not disuse. It's not saying, oh, just stop it. No, he's saying, use them properly because they're actually going to glorify Jesus. So, secondly, they are to be used for the common good, for the service of the church. 
Spiritual people use their gifts for the service of others. And uh, a man called David Pryor, who wrote a commentary on 1 Corinthians, he wrote this, To be truly spiritual drives a person neither to ecstasy, nor to individualism, nor to otherworldliness, but into the life of the local church as an expression of commitment to Jesus as Lord. So spiritual people aren't characterized by just being wacky. They're not characterized by like, quoting Bible verses in every sentence that they speak. They're not, they're not uh, characterized by living some sort of monastic life where no one ever sees them and they sort of make honey and stuff. No, it's not about being in a state of ecstasy all of the time. Spiritual people are characterized by serving Jesus and others through the church. So if you're committed to Jesus, it will look like commitment to the church. You don't do one without the other. If you say, Jesus, I'm committed to you, I'm all about you, it will translate into serving others through the context of the local church, which, as we're going to see in a minute, is his body. These gifts that God gives us aren't ornaments for you to put on your mantelpiece and to admire and to reminisce about. Do you remember that prophecy I bought back in 2011? It was amazing. It really blessed that meeting that one time. Or that hospitality we showed a few years ago. We had those people over, we cared for them, we prayed for them, we made them a nice meal. Wasn't it great when we did that? No, these aren't to be sort of sat back and polished off and think, well, I did it once. No, these are to be used again and again for the glory of God and for the service of others. Paul is bringing the Corinthians away from a sense of personal fulfillment. These gifts, they they bring me personal fulfillment to away from that sort of self-centeredness and into how can I use the things that God has given me to bless others? How can I use the gifts that he's given me to build up others and be a blessing to them? This is the radical new desire that God gives us. That's what happens when we become Christians. We turn inside out. It's no longer about me and my personal fulfillment. Although, yes, he's totally fulfilling. He's so satisfying. But actually, my life is now given over to serving others and using the gifts that he's given me to serve others. So what are these gifts? Let's read them. Uh, Let's read about them together, verses 8 to 11. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the ability to distinguish between spirits, to another various kinds of tongues. You might read in your translation languages. To another, the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. So Paul's listed a whole bunch of gifts here. There's more to be found in Romans chapter 12. Gifts of service, of hospitality, of leadership, of giving. All kinds of different gifts that we can have. We believe that all of these gifts are available for us today. They didn't die out. Uh, when Jesus' disciples died out. Some might teach that, that they sort of died out when the Bible was kind of brought together and his early disciples died off. No, we believe these are for today, and we believe that they are necessary for the maturity of the church. It says in chapter 13, and we're going to see this in a few weeks' time, these gifts will cease. These gifts will cease. Gifts of prophecy, gifts of teaching, gifts of knowledge, these things will cease, but they will cease when the perfect comes. And as I've caused us to do many a time here, we can turn to the person to the right and to the left, and we've got first-hand evidence that the perfect has not yet come. When we look around us, we can see the perfect has not yet come. 
So we're not going to go into the gifts in any particular detail right now. We're going to look at a few next week. Some are self-explanatory, some need a bit more unpacking. But I want to make a book recommendation to you, which is a book called The Beginner's Guide to Spiritual Gifts by a man called Sam Storms. Some of these things, as I've read them out, you're thinking, what on earth is that? What is the gift of tongues? What is the gift of uh, distinguishing between spirits? What is the gift of uh, knowledge or wisdom? This book will help you to understand some of those things better. But as I say, we will dive into some of these next week. But where I want to bring us into land here is just thinking about this picture here that Paul then goes on to speak about, which is a picture of the church as a body, of the church as a body. Paul uses, in his various letters in the New Testament, he uses different pictures for the church. He talks about the church being the bride of Christ. He talks about the church being the household of God, like a family. He talks about the church being the pillar of truth that upholds Jesus to the world. But he uses this analogy of a body in a number of different places. And this is what we're going to delve into a little bit more together. So let's read uh, verses 12 to 14. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. So this is what it's saying here. If you believe in Jesus, if you say, Jesus, you're my Lord and my Savior, I give you all of my sin and my shame, I receive from you forgiveness, now I'm living for you in response to all that you've done for me. If you do that, then you are now part of a body. You're baptized into a body that is the church globally, of all various denominations and various uh, styles, but it's also that you're now part of a body locally as well. You're part of a a body locally. And it's important that we grasp this because we need every member of the body to function in order to uh, see this church flourish. Now, Paul has diagnosed two ailments in the body. It's time to see what Dr. Paul says about this. Well, firstly, he diagnoses self-pity. Self-pity as one of the ailments in the body. This is what he says in verse 15. If the foot should say... Because I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body. That would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, well, because I'm not an eye, I don't belong to the body. That would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. Some people in the church had seemingly looked around them and had thought, because I don't do it like that person, because I have a gifting that that person has, because I'm not as confident as she is, I'm not as gifted as he is, I don't really belong here. Maybe maybe this church is better off without me. Or maybe I I don't feel I've really got anything to bring to the table. And self-pity has set in. Self-pity is an addictive drug. It's far more addictive than caffeine. Self-pity, when you get it, you start to wallow in it. 
And it's really destructive. It's really destructive. The book of Proverbs says, guard your heart, for from it flow springs of life. And listen, we need to learn to guard our hearts from self-pity. Because we can get caught in a trap laid for us if we, if we wallow in these thoughts. If we think, well, I'm not really needed here. You know, I, I'm not as prominent as that person. Or, you know, that person is... You, comparison, looking around, thinking I'm not as good as that person. Or maybe I'm not really needed here. And we can start to go into a spiral of self-pity. And it leads to some very, very dark places. It leads to us thinking about jacking it in altogether. And we can all be susceptible to it at times. I look over what God has said about me and the things that I've got to walk into in the future, and I think, well, I wonder what it's going to look like. Am I going to look like that guy? Am I going to have the ministry that he has? You start to compare, and you think, I can't do it as well as he can. I can't do it anywhere near as well as he can. That's dangerous, because it can freeze us. It can make us not effective for God. If there's one thing that you respond for in prayer today, it might be that you, want to, you just see self-pity creeping in, and you can see it's taking you to, to some very dark places, Today's a day when you can arrest it, where you can say, right, from now on, I'm going to have a radar in my mind, and when these planes start flying in of you know, negative uh, thoughts about myself, I'm going to get my missiles of truth, and I'm going to take them out. I'm, gonna, I'm, not gonna, I'm not going to mull over these things. I'm not going to chew over these things in my heart. I'm not really wanted. I'm not needed. No one cares for me anyway. I might as well not turn up. No one says hello to me. Self-pity, it's a really destructive thing. We need to, to plunge a thick dagger into the lie that says that those who matter in the kingdom of God are those that have prominence. That those who are important are those that are on a stage in some way. Those people are important, but they're no more important than anyone else. We are going to be surprised in the kingdom of heaven. Those sitting at the right hand of Jesus are going to be people we've never heard of. It's not going to be people who have preached to millions. It's going to be those that have served in the secret place. Because that's, the, that's what Jesus treasures so much. He treasures it so much. So we keep a check on self-pity. We acknowledge that church is far more than about Sundays. It's not just an, an hour and a half experience on a Sunday. It's much more than that. It's a 24-7 thing, actually. And then we've each got a part to play. Every member is unique distinctive, irreplaceable, and unrepeatable. The church does not need another clone of me. You'd be exhausted if there was another one of me running around. It doesn't need that. It needs individual, distinct people. You can tell yourself, like this eye is telling itself, I'm not really needed here. You can tell yourself that you're not needed as much as you like, but it will never be true. It will never be true. You can, you can wallow in that as much as you like, but it will never be true. You'd just be repeating a lie in your heart. There'll always be someone better than you at what God has gifted you to do. That's okay, isn't it? We don't have to be threatened by that. We don't have to think, oh, maybe I won't bother. There'll always be someone. If we, if we really took the time to compare ourselves, they would always think, well, there's someone better than me at that. Why do I bother? No, God has gifted you and has given you a personality to complement that gifting so that you can bring something to the table that no one else can. With the gifting and the personality that you have, you can represent Jesus in a way to others that no one else can. 
You can bring something of the encouragement and the life of Jesus to others that no one else can because God has so made you that way. When we reject the idea of us being a body, we're saying to God, no. We're saying no to him. We're saying, I don't trust you. We're saying, I don't think that you know what you're doing, God. And actually, we see here that he's done it just as he desired. The second uh, sickness he's diagnosed is pride or self-importance. Let's, uh, in the time we have remaining, let's just um, read these verses together. The I cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Maybe you've said that. I've no need of this church or I've no need of a church. I've no, I've no need of other Christians around me. I'm okay as I am, actually. Nor again the head could say to the feet, I have no need for you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. You need those parts of the body that you think you don't need. You need them. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greatest honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, while our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body but that the members may have the same care for one another. This is the vision of church that Paul is laying out to the the Corinthians here, that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honoured, all rejoice together. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. So you can say, I don't really need this. Well, you do. It's it's here as clear as day. You do. You need it to be all that God is calling you to be. You need it to, to, to grow and develop into all that God has for you. You need to learn to suffer with those who are suffering. We don't just say, ah, it's a toe, I've got another nine of those. When you've got a painful toe, you know it, right? And you want to do something about it, you get to the doctors and you think, I want to sort this toe out. Rather than thinking, I've got another nine that can drop off, I'm quite all right, thank you. If you go to the dentist, you're in massive tooth pain, the dentist doesn't say, yeah, I'm just going to leave that one because you've got like 25 other teeth. Why are you complaining about it? No, you know it when the tooth is hurting. And so you suffer with those who suffer. And you rejoice with those who rejoice. When others are honoured, when others are praised, when others seem to have some kind of acknowledgement for what they do, you don't think, oh, man, I've been slaving away and no one's ever patted me on the back. No, you rejoice with those who rejoice. You honour those who have been honoured. You, you celebrate it. That's what it looks like to be a part of a body. Let's just read these last few verses. You are members of the body of Christ. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, Second, prophets. Third, teachers. Then, miracles. Then, gifts of healing, helping, administrating, and various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? The answer to these rhetorical questions is no. Not everyone has every gift. But he says this, but earnestly desire the higher gifts, and I will show you still a more excellent way. He's saying you can desire these gifts. You can ask God to be gifted in ways that you haven't been gifted. And that's okay. That's a good thing to to say to him, God, I want to be gifted in this way, to desire those things. But Paul's talking here about a more excellent way. And the following chapter says this, love is patient, love is kind. Love doesn't boast, it doesn't envy. He's saying there's there's a more excellent way, there's a far more excellent way than having all the gifting in the world. There's a far more excellent way It's the way of love. It's the way of love that has been demonstrated to us in Jesus, who came not to be served, but to serve and to lay his life down for us. 
That's the way of love that we imitate. That's, that's our grounding. Beyond all of the various things and ways that God could use us in, our grounding is living out a life of love. And I want to call us afresh, church. I want to call us afresh to, in, in light of the love of Christ shown to us, to give ourselves afresh and say, God, I'm all in. All of these gifts you've given me, I want to use them for you. I want in every day of my life, I want to glorify you. In everything that I do, I want it to be all about you. I want it to be for the glory of Jesus. I want it to be for the good of others. To say in the view of all of that amazing love, I'm all yours. That's what worship is, friends. That's what worship is, is to say in view of all you've done, I'm all yours. But I'd love to pray for us. Let's quieten our hearts before God. Heavenly Father, we thank you that um, you have been so evidently amongst us this morning. We praise you for blessing us, touching our hearts afresh. And I want to just ask now that for anyone here who can identify with this self-pity thing, that you would, you would right now just highlight it and show the root of it to people. And Lord, would you just, yeah, just break self-pity really in this room by your power, by your love, I want to ask you that we would be a church that more and more uh, hones in on wrong thinking and arrests it and wrestles it into submission to the truth that you've placed us in the body just as you desire. Lord God, that you've got good things for us, that you're a good father, not a mean father. You're not a father who wants to... um, crush us or cause us to uh, be miserable. Lord, you're a good father who's got good things for us. I want to pray for that now. Just come and do that work in hearts. I pray for those who maybe can identify with self-importance and can say, yeah, I'm living in a bit of an independent, individualistic life. I pray that that would be broken now and that the commitment to you will outwork itself in commitment to your church. Lord, we just simply say, in light of the, the incredible love that you've shown us, that you giving yourself over to be arrested and falsely trialed and whipped and beaten, mocked, spat at, rejected, all of these horrendous things that you under, underwent to... Uh, to go to the cross and there be killed, abandoned, all to take away our sin and our shame, all to take the punishment for our, our wrongdoing and then to so bring us into the family of God through faith, to bring us into this incredible, incredible relationship with the living God. Lord, we want to, in view of that love, in view of that mercy, we want to say we are all yours, Lord. And the gifts that you've given us, we will use for your glory and for serving others. We will, Lord. Everything that you've given us, Lord. Maybe you want to just for a moment around the room, just think of what it is that God's given you. And you might say right now, I'm going to use that gifting. I'm going to use it for the glory of God. I'm not going to let it sit on a shelf gathering dust. I'm going to use it for the glory of God. I'm going to use it for the service of his church. I'm going to use it for his glory.
Lord, we're all yours. We want to say in light of your great love for us, we give you everything. We give you everything, Lord, all that we have. Our finances, Lord, our time, our gifts, our passion. It's yours, Lord. We're all in. We're all in. We want to make you famous, Lord. We want to make you known. Not just a a swear word, but the king of the universe. The servant king. Lord, we want to make you famous, Lord Jesus. Come and move amongst us, I pray, as we sing and as we respond in prayer. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Hope Church Ipswich. Please feel free to make a copy of this content, but please do not edit the content in any way.